Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. But I just want to give you guys some context. So keep keep your finger there because we're going to do a little bit of traveling like a javelin if that's all right with you. All right? So I come from a background where I've worked in, in, in institutions. I worked in a juvenile detention facility, and we had this, this thing that's a universal thing that I would like to call ATM. I dubbed it myself ATM. When you go to an ATM, what you go to ATM for? To get money. Reason why I dubbed it that is because nine times out of ten, this is always going to get us the money that we want. And what I mean by that, I dubbed it ATM, is because first we're going to ask you. That's the A. If that don't work, then we're going to tell you. That's the T. But if, if, you don't, if, if you don't follow the ask or the tell, then we're going to make you. Universally in institutions, that's dubbed pain compliance. And so today's message is, is entitled Growing Pains. I don't know if y'all was, any of y'all out there that, that grew up in the 80s and the 90s like me, but there was a show called Growing Pains, you know what I'm saying? It was the Seavers family. Used to like watching that on ABC, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and, and so I was, I was reminded that I was sharing this with my sister, and we, we were having some laughs about it, but growing pains, right? Here we grow, growing pains. And so what, what we call it pain compliance is, is, is a series of weaponless defense tactics that we use in order to get individuals who are a little unruly and not following the, following the program to get them to do what it is that they need to do. Sometimes it, it, it takes that. Right. Like I I asked you, I told you and you still wasn't listening. So now I got to make you right. Like like when I get your arm twisted up, now you can hear me. Right. Like like now that I got you twisted up and you're on the ground, you you, you're not you're a little bit more cooperative. Right. And so um, that's pain compliance. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He says, I am certain that I never did grow in grace one half so much anywhere as I have upon the bed of pain. Mm. Let me talk about pain for a second. Pain is generally divided up into two categories. You have acute pain. Not that it's cute. It's acute. Acute pain and chronic pain. Okay, and in, in the situation that you have acute pain, Acute pain is an episode where the pain receptors transmit information about an injury to the spinal cord and it goes to the brain, leading you to protect the injured area. You following? Right? So let me give you an example so you really know what I'm talking about. It's like that time that you, that you walk in and unexpectedly stub your toe. Right? You almost, you almost lose your salvation as soon as you st- stub your toe. And you automatically go to grab that thing and and hold it to keep it from throbbing, right? Those are are examples of acute pain. And so this, this type of pain resolves once your injury heals, okay? But then there are times where an injury occurs, sometimes, however, where your body heals, but your brain continues to think that you're in pain. Sounds like why, that's, that's why God tells us that we need to renew our mind, right? Because sometimes he's, he's, he's brought forth the healing, like that thing, that trauma is over. But in our mind, we're still stuck there. And so that brings me to our first point. For all my note takers that are out there, I need you to write this down. Pain is necessary. Pain is necessary. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, 
One translation says the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners. So that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. You have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons? My son, do not scorn the Lord's discipline or give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he accepts. You got that slide? Let me show you this slide. We ain't even resisted to the point of shedding blood. But this is kind of what it looks like when we trying to tell Jesus how hard our life is. This is how crazy it looks when we're telling him all the stuff, the trials we be going through and, and what we can't handle while he's sitting there still bearing in his body the wounds that he bore for us. Something that the Lord showed me is that sons are for sacrifice. I know that might be hard for some of us mothers out there. Some of us fathers even, but sons are for sacrifice. I know we often hear, we hear, uh, you know, from the perspective of a mother, we hear from a perspective of a father. Today I want to talk from a perspective of a son. Sons are for sacrifice. What do you mean by that? I mean, well, well John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten daughter. No. He gave his son. He gave his son. I know we're in the midst of, of gender equality and equity and everything, but sons are for sacrifice. Do we still want that equality and that equity? Sons are for sacrifice. He gave his only begotten son. And let me take it a step further. Husbands and fathers are only sons who have accepted and embraced the fact that their life was made for sacrifice. What is the job of a daughter then if a daughter's job is to submit? Oh, that, 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 that's a hush right there. Let me, let, me, let me break it down and take it a step further. Listen, let me break it down and take it a step further. Sons are for sacrifice. If a husband and a father is a son who has committed himself to the fact that he knows that his life is for sacrifice, that's why the command to the husband is to lay down your life and sacrifice. The woman, the wife, is to submit. So that means if the man is doing what he's supposed to, then it won't be no problem for the woman to do what she's supposed to. Why do you think it's not a, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that the enemy's trying to confuse the roles under the sake of equity and equality? A husband and a father are sons who have embraced the discipline of sacrifice. The daughter embraces her role of sacrifice, of sacrificing her will. Example given. Mary, you are favored. What is her response when the angel comes to her and says that the Lord has selected you to bear him a son and his name shall be called Jesus? What is her response? Something similar to what her son Jesus said in the garden. Not my will, be it unto me according to your will, Lord. And the Holy Spirit came upon her and she conceived. So it's a sacrificing of the will while the son is a sacrificing of the body. Only when we receive a revelation that pain has a purpose, we are able to embrace it. Are you following? I mentioned Joseph a few moments ago. For those of you guys that aren't familiar with Joseph, let me give you a quick cliff note about who Joseph is. Joseph is a foreshadowing in the Old Testament of who Jesus would be. 
Joseph, is a, as a young man, is given a dream. He's the son of Jacob. He's the son of the, 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 the founding fathers of the faith, right? And so Joseph is given a dream. He tells his brothers, shares it with his brothers foolishly. They're jealous of him because his dad, he's his dad's favorite. And basically, in a nutshell, Joseph gets pitted. They threw him in a pit. He gets sold into slavery for silver. Betrayed for silver. Sound, sound familiar? Remember, he's a foreshadowing of Jesus. Betrayed, pitted, sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt, kicking it with Potiphar, gets accused falsely of sexual, sexual assault. Now he's, now he's imprisoned. So he goes from being pitted, potted, prisoned, and then eventually, eventually he ends up at the palace because he held on to the promise of God and he used his gift. And it brought him to the palace. After going through all of that, he ends up in power. He's, he's like only, he's, he's the second in command in all of the land of Egypt who was the world power at the time, right? And he's not even an Egyptian, but he's placed in this position because God, it was God's sovereignty and his plan that placed him there. And the pain that he went through was the purpose that was set apart for this, for this particular moment. What ends up happening is that once Joseph comes into power, Joseph got, his, got, got all these things, all these blessings that have come about because of all the pain that he's gone through, this journey that God has taken him through. And Joseph gets blessed not only with, with riches and everything, but he gets blessed with a wife and they end up having kids. And he has two sons and his first son he names Manasseh, which means God has caused me to forget all of my pain. I don't know about you, it'd be hard for me to forget that I was betrayed by my brothers, that I was sold into slavery, that I was falsely accused of, of doing something with somebody, and then I get put in prison for that. And I'm not talking about he was in prison for like a day or two, and it was like, oh, it wasn't you. This dude was in prison for years. And finally comes into his blessing has his first son, and his first son's name is Manasseh, meaning God has caused me to forget all of my pain. We're going somewhere. His first son's name is Manasseh. His second son's name is Ephraim. And if Manasseh's name is to focus on a God who preserves, Ephraim's name is to focus on a God who blesses. So what does he have? He has two memorials that are living before him, which God has blessed him with, showing you that I am the one who has preserved you through the pain. But I'm also the one who blesses you after you've per persevered. The reason why this is so this is. This, this is so pivotal and important for us to grasp and understand that pain is necessary is because the thing is, is that God is not using the pain to destroy you. He's not using the pain to destroy you. There's something that's on the other side. And if we don't understand that the pain is for a purpose, we'll get caught up, focused on the pain and we'll be moved out of position. And we won't receive the blessing that's on the other side of it. There's many of us that are sitting in this room that have been through excruciating amounts of pain. We've endured pain, and it's only by the grace of God that we were able to endure that pain. And we don't look like the pain that we've been through. That's what, that's what he's talking about, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Do you know that the peace that he's talking about, the peace in the Greek is the, the word ironicus, where we get the word ironic from? Meaning that, isn't it ironic that I've been through all of this hell and all of this turmoil and everything and I don't even look like it? Why? Because I got a God who preserved me through the pain. I have a God who has blessed me after the pain. And he's caused me to forget all of my pain.
To give you guys a little bit of insight, I'm going to make this personal, okay? Um, many of you guys know me. I grew up virtually fatherless. Um, my father was very inconsistent in and out of my life up until the time I was about 14. And when he was around, I used to get beat. Beat, beat, beat. Got the brakes beat off me. So much to the point where I spent most of my, most of my childhood, listen closely, most of my childhood provoked to anger and wrath and suicidal in my thoughts. Follow me. Suicidal in my thoughts as a youth. But something that was always on the inside of me, it was like it was, I lived in a conflicting house. My dad was not living for the Lord. My mom was. And every time that she could, she would instill the word in me. So there was the deposit of the word that was in there that was to combat, combat all of these suicidal ideologies. And even the rage that I wanted so badly to act out on, I was held back from. Not all of it, but, but quite a great deal of it I was able to be held back from. And so being the fact that I had experienced so much pain at the hands of my father, I often like wondered, like, Lord, why, like, God must not like me. What have I done to deserve any of this? And so I had a lot of resentment and animosity towards my father. So much so that like when I was, when I was like I said, he was in and out until the time I was about 14 years old. And of course, as you know, as, as, when you become a teenager, you, get, you start going through puberty, you get your, your testosterone. Now, I'm a little bit bigger, so now he's not, he's, not, he's not beating me like that no more. The last encounter that I had with my father before he was gone for good, he woke me up out of bed in the middle of the night and interrogated me in our kitchen while everybody else was asleep at gunpoint. Painful. Because I know as a son that that's not what a father's supposed to be. So what ends up happening is, is mom and dad split for good around the time that I'm 14. And I hold all this resentment and everything, but here's the, here's the ironic thing about it is even going through all the pain of, of having a dysfunctional family and going through all the pain and the abuse that I went through, all I ever really wanted was to have a family of my own. I couldn't wait to be a husband. I couldn't wait to be a dad because I knew exactly what it was that I wanted to be. And so it wasn't until I became a father myself that I was able to start working through some of my issues and start releasing the, the resentment and the resent, resentment towards my dad turned to grace because he didn't have that great of, a, of a upbringing himself. Not an excuse, not, not, not a skate, but I'm not giving him the easy way out. But what I'm saying is that I was allowed to let God do some things in me and show me in the raising of my children and show me in the loving and the, in the, the devotion to my wife what it is that, that he was deficient in and give him the grace so I could forgive him. Are you following? Fast forward to 2020. I'm sorry. Let me, let me back up a little bit. 2003. I have a, we, we have our first child. Raquel and I are sitting in the hospital. And this first child's name was Baby Johnson for three days. Because I wrestled with what I should name him. Because of my upbringing... I am Donald Ray Johnson III. That means there was a Donald Ray Johnson Jr. And I was named after my father, who was named after his father. And for me, the name always was, was, was synonymous to shame. Hated my name. So we're sitting in the hospital. Baby Johnson is born. Sitting there for three days because I was... The name I initially wanted to give, I, wasn't, I didn't get a release to give it. 
So the Lord says, you're going to name him after you. I said, okay. So finally, after, after three days, they're like, hey, you need, to, you need to get this baby a name. You need to get this baby a name. So I, I, I dubbed I.V., Donald Ray Johnson IV. That's why we call him I.V. Most of y'all think his name is Ivy, but it's I.V., nickname, the fourth, right? And the reason why, we, why I named him that, the Lord, the Lord put it on my heart to name him that, was because your son is called to greatness. And through him, I'm going to help you forget I'm going to help you forget the shame that you had all these years and these decades attached to this name. Fast forward 2020, dad pops back up in my life. I'm like, what's up, dad? He's like, man, you know what? I just kind of wanted to reach out, reconnect. I'm doing good now. Went through a program, about to get my own place. Okay, cool. So we trying it out, staying connected, talking over the phone, whatnot, had a couple of conversations. Things are going well. He moves into his place. Shortly afterwards, uh, you know, I I got a call from him, hadn't heard from him in a while. He sounded a little funny. I was a little concerned because I was like, man, maybe he relapsed. Maybe something happened. I don't know. Probably the norm. So I'm like, you know what? He gave me his address. I'm going to go pop up on him. Go down and pop up on him wasn't what I expected. I was thinking it's going to be business as usual. He's going to be caught up in some mess, whatever. I show up. Dude got a nice little apartment. Things going well for him, but I just noticed he's really frail and something's not right. So um, lo and behold, me and my sisters get together. We're trying to work some things out because he's got some health issues going on that he ain't really told nobody about. And so, again, we're talking about the, 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 the pain of, of years and years, that, that, the, the trauma, the, the things that you've been healed from that sometimes your mind don't always catch up with. So I get to his apartment, and I'm like, man, this place is a mess because he can't get around very well. And so I'm in there helping him clean up his apartment, and I get a flashback of one of my beatings that I got when I was cleaning up the house. And it's funny how the enemy works, because he want to bring up the old stuff to try and stifle the new thing that God is trying to do in you. So if I can go a little bit further... Dad ends up having a stroke, a hemorrhagic stroke. It's a bad stroke. And almost simultaneously around the same time, my relationship with my namesake blows up. My relationship with my oldest son, the promise of helping me forget, blows up over a misunderstanding, over a miscommunication, and now my house is torn apart. Can I be real with you? Dad's stroking out. My son is not in my house anymore. And I look like an epic failure. And now what happens is I'm revisited by suicidal ideology. Can I be real? I'm I'm telling you, Pastor Donald, teaching pastor, rapper, whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that you know me of suicidal ideology. I'm not talking about 10 years ago, I'm talking about last year. I'd be lying to you if I said that I, I, there weren't days 
that I'm going through this, this pain, that I'm not driving on a two-lane highway, and I'm like, I should just swerve in front of the next 18-wheeler so I can feel better. But thank God that our temptations are not our identity. Our temptations are not our identity. There's so many people that live out their temptations as their identity. I couldn't imagine having to experience this without having a, a community of believers that are around me. The same thing that happened when I was a kid and these ideas came to me, there was a seed that was on the inside of me that says, this is not the end of your story. And I was able, I was able to just go ahead and grin and bear it and push through. And so as I'm going through this this last year, the same seed that was deposited of the word of God rose up on the inside of me and said, son, this is only pain compliance. This is only pain compliance. You were never in control of the program. I've been running the program the whole time. This is pain compliance. I know it hurts, but you can hear me now. You can hear what I'm saying. You can follow the commands. You can follow the directions. This is not the end of your life. Pain compliance helped me to hear the Father's command. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The peace of God that's, it's ironic. That in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of, of, of there being a breach in my relationships, in the midst of the fact, look, in the midst of the fact that my father has a hemorrhagic stroke and he's been shuffled around from care facility to care facility. A dude who didn't even spend this much time taking care of me. That I'm going out of my way. Isn't that ironic? Isn't, it that, isn't, isn't that ironic that the father who never took care of the son is now being taken care of? When you find out that the pain is for a purpose, you're able to embrace the pain. It said that before us, there is laid out a race. When you look up that word race in, 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 in the Greek, it doesn't mean that it's a nice jog or that, that it's a marathon. It doesn't mean that it's a sprint. The word race actually translates to the word agon, which is where we get the word agony from. You have an agonizing road that's ahead of you. But here we grow. You have an agonizing world that lays ahead of you. But for the sake of the reward that lies on the other side, you have the grace that is available to you in order to endure it. Jesus has already gone before you. Jesus has already gone before all of us and cleared away and ensured that we're going to make it. The pain is only for discipline, which leads me to my next point. When we embrace it, we understand that pain is preparation. Pain is, pain is preparation. Write that down. Pain is preparation. I don't know about y'all, but dude, dude is not smiling. He is not happy. He's enduring the pain of the preparation of what, what, his, what his superiors are trying to get him ready for. They in his face, not because they, 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 they want to beat him down. They're, they're trying to get him prepared and let him know that, look, this is not a joke. It's not a game. You go out here and you ain't, you ain't got your head in the game, you're going to get knocked off. So quit cheating yourself 
and endure the pain and do what it is that's necessary. Verse 7, endure your suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you do not experience discipline, something all sons have shared in, then you are illegitimate and are not sons. They got a word for that. Besides, we have experienced discipline from our earthly fathers and we respected them. Shall we not submit ourselves all the more to the father of spirits and receive life? For they disciplined us for a little while as seemed good to them, but he does so for our benefit that we may share in his holiness. Now all discipline seems pleasurable. All discipline is a walk in the park. Now all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful. But later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those trained by it. Trained by it. It's preparation. Therefore, strengthen your listless hands and your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but be healed. Before healing takes place, there has to be some pain. I like how Oswald Chambers says it. He says, why shouldn't we experience heartbreak? Through those doorways, God is opening up ways of fellowship with his son. Most of us collapse at the first grip of pain. We sit down at the door of God's purpose and enter a slow death through self-pity. And all the so-called Christian sympathy of others helps us to our deathbed. But God will not. He comes with the grip of the pierced hand of his son as if to say, enter into the fellowship with me. Arise and shine. If God can accomplish his purpose in this world through a broken heart, then why not thank him for breaking yours? I thank God for breaking my heart. If it means that one person in this room that's going through pain understands and gets hope and understands that there's a blessing on the other side of that pain and that there's purpose for your pain today, that God has not meant the pain for to destroy you, but to build you up and bless you and heal you, then I thank God for breaking my heart. I thank God for bringing me through all the things that he went through. I went and sat there at that table with that pistol across from me so my children wouldn't have to. Verse 14, pursue peace with everyone and holiness, for without it, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through it may be, many become defiled. Can I stop there real quick? When you don't know that pain is for a purpose, you mistake it and think, like, like a lot of us, we think, that, that we shouldn't experience hard times or that I'm a good person, so nothing bad should happen to me. No, the Bible tells us that it rains on the just as well as the unjust. Some of us are going to have good days. Some of us are going to have bad days. And you get individuals that, 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 that they get hurt or experience a little pain and they, 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 they don't realize the purpose of the pain and they start taking it personal. Then they start spewing their, their, their hurt and their pain on the other people. And it turns to bitterness. And then roots of bitterness start pop, popping up everywhere. Verse 16, and see to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no opportunity for repentance, although he sought the blessing with tears. 
That's what happens when you ain't willing to go through the pain. You experience the pain of regret. Trust me, the pain of progress is so much better than the pain of regret. When you don't understand that pain is for a purpose, that the pain is not meant to destroy you, but to build you up to a place where you can be healed. You'll do strange things. You'll despise your position and your station in life that God has placed you. Esau was the oldest brother. He was supposed to have the birthright. But he despised it. He didn't take it serious. He, 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 he looked at it as nothing and sold it because he was hungry. No delayed gratification. How many of us act spoiled and, 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 and we want what we want when we want it? And we get mad and upset with God when he says no. I had to explain to my kids that when I tell you no, it doesn't necessarily mean no forever. But it's a no right now. Why? Because everything they want ain't necessarily going to bless them. People do strange things when pain is not embraced with the perspective of purpose. They get beside themselves. We panic and try to save our lives when we don't know why the pain is there. So what do you have to learn? You got to learn how to outlast the pain. You got to have to learn how to outlast the pain. Which leads me to my next point. Pain is temporary. God wants to give us something. And it's on the other side of pain. He wants to give us something, but he can't do it because our hands are full. Do you hear that? God wants to give us something, but he can't because our hands are full. There's nowhere for him to put it. Or this is the other reason why he can't, he can't give us what it is that he wants to give us. It's because we regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies but we really hope we don't have to use it. Any airmen in the house? If you're airmen, you know that reference. Listen. Here we grow. It's time for us to grow up. Everything ain't supposed to be a walk in the park. Everything ain't supposed to be easy come, easy go. Like, we're not, not everything is supposed to be a cakewalk. This walk is, is peaks and valleys. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's peaks and valleys. It's ebbs and flows. It's ups and downs. God has told us in his word that he's bringing us from glory to glory. The thing is, is that we like to we like to stay in the glory. But when it comes to the two that's in between, we don't we want to skip that. You got to understand that God wants to give you something and it's on the other side of pain. He wants to give you something that's on the that's where that's the, on the other side of pain is the table that he has prepared for you in the, in the presence of your enemies. That's where the table is. It's on the other side of the pain that you're not willing to go through. Remember, in the same, in the same passage, David writes, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death in order to get to the table that was prepared for him. He's got a table prepared for you. But the table and the spread that's prepared is only for sons and not spoiled brats. You sitting in here and you want bacon and eggs from a chicken mentality. What do you mean you want bacon and eggs? I'm, I'm saying that you want bacon and eggs from a chicken mentality. The problem with the chicken is, is that, in, in the, that, that he's only merely involved in making of bacon and eggs. He can give eggs and still live, but the hog got to die. And Jesus ain't looking for chickens. He looking for hogs. 
You got to be a hog about it. That when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to go through the pain. I'm going to endure all the way to the end. And I'm not going to give up. Funny, I just heard a pastor talk about how this pandemic really showed where people were at. Only took them 18 months to leave the church. 18 months for people to leave the church. They was in there, they was, they was dedicated, they was going, but they was chickens. There's egg in your face. He looking for hogs because hogs are completely devoted. They give up their life. The chicken can lay its eggs and go, but the hog has to die. So while he's got the table spread for the sons and not the selfish brats, he's got it spread for the sons. He's willing to give you that eggs and bacon, but it's going to come with a short stack of pancakes. Short stack of pancakes, but it comes with the grace that he syrups all over it. So it goes down nice and easy. Because at the end of the day, none of us are making it out alive. None of us are making it out alive. So it's best that you go ahead and lay your life down instead of trying to save it and lose it anyway. Eat your pancakes. <laughs> Romans 8, 28 tells us, man, he gives us the promise no matter what it is we're going through. For those of you guys, let me, let me, let me share something with you real quick. So I'm going through all this stuff last year. I'm, I'm literally stretched between the Donald before me and the Donald after me. Prior to, to, to my journey of starting the true healing process where I was able to forgive my father and, and give him grace, I, I, I would describe myself as, as torn between the regret that I would see in my father's eyes and the hope that I see in my children's face. And I knew something had to give or else the cycle would repeat. So I said, Lord, all right, I'm going to stop holding on to who I was. I know I'm not in that place anymore, so I'm going to let go of the stuff and the, and the, and the, the, the barriers and the protections that I, that, that I had to install myself, the self-security to protect myself so I can let you in and do what it is that you need to do so this cycle is broken. And so last year I was like, one of the things, like music has always been one of my, my, uh, my outlets it's, it's, a, it's a gift God has given me, and I've, I've, I've neglected it for quite some time. But last year, I was talking with JR. JR and me were like, we made a pact. We were like, hey, man, we're going we're gonna to put out a project this year. This is last year. We're going to put out a project, you know, whatever. It, it, we don't care what it is. It might not be perfect. It might not, might not be pretty. But we got to do something. We got to do something with the gift God gave us. Let's do it. So JR dropped his project, and, and uh, a couple months later, I dropped mine. And so... Uh, one of the instrumental tracks on there is kind of a, uh, it's kind of got a somber feel to it, and it's called "In the Gap," and it has these like vocal chops that are in there of like these these like these like the singer is like moaning soulfully, like like just is it's just this real deep heartfelt groaning. And what the Lord showed me is like when you made this, because I, I, I for some reason I thought about my dad, and my son when I was making it. And, and the Lord showed me, says, this, this song is, is your prayer. Because when you read in Romans 8, there are times I didn't know what to pray. There were times I didn't know what to say. I couldn't put the words together. But it says that the Spirit, through moanings and groanings, will pray the perfect prayer to the Father. I found myself in the gap, going to the father on behalf of my father 
in behalf of my son. Pain compliance drove me to my knees. Hadn't been on my knees like that in a long time. And it wasn't until then that I recognized and was able to, to, to have the promise come back to my remembrance in Romans 8, 28, where he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Second Corinthians three eighteen says this. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Say transformed. transformed. Being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't come here before you guys in hopes that I would inspire you this morning. I didn't come before you in hopes that I would motivate you this morning. Why? Because inspiration and motivation are great. They're only meant to be supplements. They're like, they're like I hate to say this, they're like boosters, okay? But they're, but they're, they're supplements, right? Transformation is a discipline. Motivation is great. Inspiration is great. But transformation is a discipline. Let me paint it a little bit, a little bit clearer. Motivation and inspiration are the escalator, but transformation is taking the stairs. Why? Because if you're in the process of transforming, you're going up the stairs, you ain't going to just, when you get tired, you're just going to go stop on the stairs and be like, yeah, I'm going to just stay here. What I look like just standing and staying on the stairs? You got to keep going. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He says, pain is a holy angel who shows us treasures that would otherwise remain forever hidden. Through him, men and women have become greater than through all the joys of the world. It must be so, and I tell myself this in my present situation over and over again. The pain of suffering and of longing, which can often be felt even physically, must be there, and we cannot and, and need not talk it away. But it needs to be overcome every time, and thus there is an even holier angel than the one of pain, and that is the one of joy in God. This man spoke this during the time that the Nazis were in power in Germany and killing people left and right. And he's talking about the benefit of going through the pain that he was enduring at the time. Which leads me to these last couple of points as I come to a close. The only way we get from glory to glory is by faith. The only way that we're able to endure the pain is by faith. Josh, can you do me a favor and come up here real quick? I just want to illustrate this. Listen, from glory to glory, stand right there where it says stand here. Stand right there, right? <laughs> so I need you guys to follow this and understand this. That pain is necessary. Pain is, is a part of the process of us getting from glory to glory. Pain is actually the, the, the tunnel, if you will, that we go through in order to get to the next level of glory. So we start here, start walking. He's walking through the pain to get to the next level of glory. Do you know that glory is a weight? And if he skips the process by which he gets to the next level of glory, if he tries to hold that glory, it'll crush him. You understand? Like, you're not, you're not going to go to the gym for the first time and jump under 300 pounds. There's steps. It's not an escalator. It's steps that you got to take. There's a progression. The pain of progress that you go through. From glory 
to glory. But the thing about it is that when you understand that, that, that you see pain through the goggles of faith, they say that faith celebrates now the reality of the future blessings. Faith celebrates now. Right now you should be celebrating what it is that you haven't experienced yet. What hasn't yet manifested on the outside. I ain't talking about the manifest that you guys see on social media. I'm talking about real manifestation of the power of God. Faith celebrates now the future blessing. As he's going from faith to faith, go to the next slide. This is literally what he's doing. This is what we're doing when we're going from faith to faith. We go through preparation. Then it goes to alteration. Yeah, I spelled it wrong because it's at the altar that the sacrifice lays. It's at the altar that the sacrifice lays. Preparation, which is alteration, then into newness. Preparation, alteration, into newness. Preparation, alteration, into newness. Preparation, alteration, and into newness. Y'all seen the picture of the butterfly sitting across from the caterpillar and they're drinking tea? And the caterpillar says, man, you've changed. Butterfly says, yeah, because we're supposed to. And that's what I'm here to say to you today. We're supposed to, thank you, Josh. We're supposed to change. We're not supposed to stay the same. The only one that needs to stay the same is God. Preparation, alteration, into newness. Could you stand with me this morning? Give God some praise. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you, Jesus. I don't believe anybody in here wants to stay the same. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if, if you're in the midst of pain right now. I pray that this encourages you to be encouraged and discourages you from being discouraged. But the pain was not meant to destroy you. And I feel like those that are in here that are going through pain and experiencing pain right now, the discomfort and everything, I need to let you know that every bit of it is worth it. Every bit of it is worth it. All the disappointments are worth it. The failed marriage was worth it. The failed business was worth it. I made, I made a decision before the year ended that like I'm going going forward I'm not taking no more L's I ain't taking no L's every everything that would be considered a loss is a lesson I feel like there's people in this room right now that 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 resonates with that that you you've been feeling like you've been losing but I'm letting you know that those losses are not losses those are lessons he uses all things all things every bit of it The prison stretch was worth it. The diagnosis was worth it. There is purpose in your pain. Allow him to use it. There's something on the other side that he wants to give you. But just endure and learn and determine and, and purpose in your heart that I'm going to outlast the pain. Regardless of what I look like, 
regardless of what my situation is, regardless of what my circumstance says, I'm going to believe that I am who God says I am. Let that be the position of your heart this morning. That I'm not going to stay the same. That I'm going to be transformed. I'm not just going to be, I'm not just going to be motivated. I'm not just going to be inspired, but I'm going to be transformed. You can't be inspired into the, the, the image of his son. You can't be motivated into the image of his son. But you can be transformed into the image of his son. I need you guys to understand that, that, that the reference that I made earlier about Joseph and his bones, you might still be wondering because I hope you held, held your finger there. Said that Joseph, after gone, going through all that he went through, number two in, 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 the, in the world's power, that on his dying, he said, to his children, he says, when you leave this place, bring my bones with you. When you leave this place, bring my bones with you. I don't know if you understand what that means, because Joseph lived 400 years before the children ever exited out of Egypt. He said that to say that I'm so committed to the transformation and the call and the pain and everything that I went through that was at the hand of God and him keeping me and preserving me through it, that I'm committed to walking into the promise that he gave me even in my death. Even in my death, my bones will honor God. You mean to tell me that while the children of Israel were getting whooped, and they were making bricks, and they were, they were enslaved, and they were going through those hard days, that they had a monument to look up to and remember that, that, oh yeah, Papa Joseph said that when we leave here, we're to take his bones with us. His bones served as a memorial that pain wouldn't last, that the pain was temporary. When it told us that there's a race set before us, that we need to look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Do you realize that just as Joseph was a foreshadowing of Jesus and his bones were preserved, his bones were preserved, that we can look to the cross and see Jesus, whose body was broken, his blood poured out, flesh ripped open and his bones exposed and preserved and in place as having gone before us and despised the shame so that way we could have victory and win the race that we are called to. I don't think you get it. I don't think you really understand what it is. We have a savior who was tempted in all manner that we are tempted, yet did not sin because he knew that the temptation was not his identity that we can look unto and see our victory every time that we're faced with a new pain. I'm here to let you know this morning, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think that the, the message is better than what it is that you're responding to. But what I'm saying to you this morning is that the pain that you're going through, the devil counted you out, but I want to let you know that Jesus took the cross and went and slapped him across his face and said, you better learn how to count again. Don't let them count you out. When they count you out, you tell them you better learn how to count. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. That needs to be your profession this morning. I'll submit to the sacrifice. I'll submit to the sacrifice. I'll submit to your will, Lord. Not mine, but your will be done. In Jesus' name. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you treat us all as sons and daughters. We thank you for giving us the grace to endure the pain that we might receive the blessing that's on the other side, Lord. Help us to not lose sight. Help us to not lose focus, but help us to fix our gaze on you, the author, the finisher of our faith. Lord, help us to remember that what it is that you have started, you are faithful and just to finish. The work that you, the good work that you have begun in each and every one of us, you are faithful and just to finish. Lord, I thank you right now that everybody under the sound of my voice has purposed in their heart to profess that they are everything that you have said they are. Lord, that they be committed to confidence, that they would walk in what it is that you have showed them the plan and the purposes for their life, Lord. Lord, help us all to see that you take all things and work them together. You take all things and work them together. You take all things and work them together. All of the light, all of the dark, all of the pain, all of the struggle. And you work it together for our good and for your glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We magnify you, Lord. We glorify your name. You're a good God. You're a good father. You are our champion, Lord. And you've crowned us with victory. We thank you, Lord. We receive it and we pray this and agree for this. In the mighty, magnificent, and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Give God some praise like you mean it.